It is great to be here with you this morning after what has been a pretty crazy start to the year for me anyway. Uh, as Clint said, um, I'm a mission partner here at The Well and I'm partially supported by you guys. So I want to just start today by giving you a little bit of a mission update because you enable me to do this ministry. For those that I don't yet know, um, I work in the anti-trafficking area and I co-lead a ministry called For Freedom, which is the global anti-trafficking ministry for SIM International. Within SIM, uh, the bulk of my role involves training and providing support and strategic guidance to our workers on the ground to enable them to be able to prevent human trafficking from happening in their communities. So we have within SIM anti-trafficking work now happening in Zimbabwe, Nigeria, Cote d'Ivoire, Germany, Bangladesh, Uruguay, and just starting up in Brazil. And we also provide support to workers in 17 countries who are all involved in some sort of anti-trafficking related ministry or ministry with vulnerable and at-risk people. So that's kind of the core part of what I do. But over the past two years, For Freedom has grown, which has been really awesome. And so has the scope of my role. Last year, the Lord opened opportunities for me to serve in a more global space by being part of the European Freedom Network and their response to the Ukraine war. And as I found, it seems a long time ago now when I did Strength Finders with Alicia, my strengths are in strategic and future thinking and connecting and networking and advocacy. And it seems like over the past two years, the Lord has been really moving me increasingly into spaces where I'm getting opportunity to do this, but at a global level. So this year, for me, started with two trips away. I worked out that since January the 28th, I've spent more than 130 hours sitting in planes and at airports. It's been a wee bit nuts. And I thank you very much, those of you who've been praying, um, because while it's been great, it's been tough physically, and I really appreciated your prayers over my health and for smooth travels. So the first trip that I had that I want to just give you a wee bit of an update on was to Chiang Mai at the end of January, early February, and how's this for a title of a conference? It was to the World Evangelical Alliance Mission Commission Global Consultation. <laughs> well, they called it the MCGC. Um, so just to give a bit of context, in kind of the Christian world, we have the Catholic Church that's kind of the biggest denomination or sort of body. Then there's the World Evangelical Alliance, or WEA, which serves more than 640 million evangelical Christians in 143 countries. We would fit, or do fit, sort of under their remit. Two years ago, I was appointed as the anti-trafficking specialist for a branch of the WEA called the Mission Commission, which is a group that speaks into the direction of global mission, uh, that is trying to discern the Lord's leading uh, and works to equip mission organizations and leaders. So we had six days together in Chiang Mai attending this consultation. It was my first experience face-to-face -face with 200 leaders in the global mission community. Um, 
hopefully there's a photo coming up. There we go. Uh, this is me with my SIM colleagues who were attending, and we had a fantastic time hearing and contributing to discussions on some of the trends and issues that the global missions community is really wrestling with. Some of these were things like gender representation, the fact that in the global church, more than 70% of the Christian church are women, and yet aside from admin roles and kids' church roles, this isn't represented in any form of leadership. We discussed, do we need a new model of mission? You know, one that actually trusts and resources local leaders rather than this traditional model of Western missionaries coming and doing. We had big discussions around missions and colonialization and power imbalances that come when we go and do cross-cultural work. We talked about new language for missions, um, which came from Craig Greenfield, a New Zealander, who talks about insiders as being the people who actually know their culture best. That when we come as expats, we have to recognize we are outsiders, and our role isn't to come over top, but our role needs to be one of alongsiders, coming alongside and helping birth what God has in mind. We talked about creation care. You know, we as Christians are called to steward creation and the earth, but where is the voice of the church in all the climate change stuff that we have? And my sort of area, we talked a lot about protecting the vulnerable and holistic mission. You know, the church has been talking about holistic mission for a really long time. We're not just here to preach the gospel, we've also got to care for the vulnerable, free the oppressed. But there's a real urgency coming now. So this talk about, we've actually got to stop just talking about it and actually start doing it. It was really challenging stuff, but I loved it. I also got the opportunity to give three seminars um, and was given 10 minutes on the plenary stage uh, to do a sales pitch about why the global church needs to engage in anti-trafficking and protecting the vulnerable. So it was an incredible opportunity to be able to speak into the bigger mission picture. Also, coming out of my involvement last year with Ukraine trauma response work, was an invitation to come and join the leadership team of the World Freedom Network. And this is a new initiative that the World Free uh, Evangelical Alliance is developing because they want to see the church engaged in fighting trafficking and exploitation. So I've been asked to come and lead the development of a church anti-trafficking network in Oceania, um, Aotearoa, Australia and Pacific. Uh, and to be part of the global strategic leadership team. And this is going to be um, part of my For Freedom role. So while I was in Chiang Mai, I also got the chance to hang out with some of these World Freedom Network colleagues, uh, planning what a global church response to trafficking could look like and how can we mobilize the church into action. It was pretty stimulating, and you can probably see from the photo, we also had far too much fun. So that was trip number one, and then I had two weeks at home before I headed over to Kenya to SIM's 
Global Assembly. So every four to five years, some international leadership all comes together uh, for a few days of intensive meetings and seminars. The last one was in 2018, and that's when Full Freedom launched. We went there, nobody knew anything about anti-trafficking, they didn't know anything about Full Freedom, didn't know how much they really did need us. Um, so we went back this year, and it was really different to be going as an established ministry, a respected ministry, and to actually have people ask us for help and for input. We had a huge opportunity to progress the work that we're doing within SIM. I got to lead another two seminars and two workshops and have many, many conversations I wouldn't have otherwise had the opportunity to do because you can just do so much more face-to-face. -face. Uh, a couple of key outcomes from this trip was being asked to help our Middle East team um, who are responding particularly in Turkey uh, in the wake of the recent earthquakes. Unfortunately, human traffickers love natural disasters because it leaves lots of people vulnerable and displaced, uh, and they always flock to any disaster to take advantage of this. So my past week, I have been working on um, getting information sent over to our teams in the Middle East that they are going to get translated and then sent through the Turkish church to enable them to care and support the earthquake survivors. We also got to have key meetings with some of our regional directors, particularly West Africa and Europe, and be able to really input into their strategic direction. You know, how can preventing trafficking and protecting the vulnerable be really included in all their ministry work? So, Ministry-wise, it was a fantastic opportunity. It was really awesome. But physically, it was really hard, as my life group will testify when I sent a prayer request going, I'm so tired, I'm going to throw up. Please, can you pray for me? Um, to come off 30 hours flying straight into six days of back-to-back -back meetings and seminars, and these were like 12 to 14-hour days, I found grueling, even being an extrovert. Um, but it wasn't all hard work. We did get some incredible worship times uh, led by the African Gospel Church of Nairobi, who were every bit as amazing as they sound. And we got some really great Bible teaching from a young Brazilian pastor uh, who was teaching from the book of Revelation. And I was just telling David this before, you know, one morning he did his teaching and he was very Brazilian and very animated about all of this and his exciting question that he threw at everybody was, in your table groups, discuss the cruciformity you found in this passage. Hey! hey. But the entire 200 people went, huh? <laughs> My table were just like, what on earth is this? And I think I was the only person there who was like, oh, and it was only because I knew I was having to preach on this when I got back that I had any idea. I was like, I think I can help here. So perhaps this word, this idea of cruciformity, is a word for the season. Uh, but if you haven't heard it before or you've found it a bit confusing, please be encouraged. I think that's a global thing. So <laughs> anyway, that's where I've been. That's why I haven't been here. I'm looking forward to being um, home-based for quite a while. So on to the sermon. Today, Clint has asked me to unpack 
cruciform vocation and calling. Uh, and I have given him and David a disclaimer that these are my jet-lagged reflections written this week, not a theological exegesis. I'm leaving that for Clint to do. But we see in John 12, 24, Jesus saying, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And I think this is the idea under this word cruciformity, that when we let go, when we surrender something, when we let something in ourselves die, that's when we truly experience new life. And I love the description of a cruciform life being one that is lived in the shape of a cross. Our lives being lived vertically, looking to the Lord, a a life of service to him. But our lives are also to be lived horizontally, a life of service to others. And this is so very true, I think, when we consider the calling on our lives and discerning our vocation and how best we can serve the Lord. Because there's nothing in a cruciform life about self. It's about God first and others second and our desires and wants and feelings and needs come way down the list. It's about putting what God wants ahead of what I want, about letting go of what I think is important, what I desire to have, what I desire to achieve, where I desire to go with my career and my life, and being prepared to lay all of that at the foot of the cross, saying, what do you want, Lord? And trusting God that he has a plan and a purpose, that he will provide, that he will lead, and in him I have more than I will ever need. It's about your will be done, not mine. I love this quote that I came across that says, we are called to embrace a cruciform life in which the cross doesn't simply teach us that Christ has died, but it teaches us how we should live. And how do we live? Eyes on God, helping others. So let's have a look at today's scripture, which is from Luke 5, verses 1 to 11. The calling of the first disciples, and then we'll dive into cruciform calling. So one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. 
And when they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and they filled both boats so full they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore. They left everything and they followed him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I love this story. I will just say straight off, I actually love all the stories in the Bible that have Peter or Simon in them as he's called here when he first meets Jesus. He's one of my favorite people in the Bible. I love his passion and I love his strength and I love his weaknesses and the fact that we see in scripture he makes so many mistakes even though he means so well and I find this very reassuring and very relatable. But I also think Simon, Peter, has a lot to teach us about what cruciform calling and vocation look like. In this passage, we see how, through his obedience, his willingness to follow Jesus, Simon's calling, his vocation, actually deepens. It sharpens, and it gets transformed into something new. We see him go from being a humble, hard-working fisherman in verse 2 to being called a fisher of people in verse 10 to eventually being called by Jesus to be Peter, the rock upon whom I build my church. You know, that's quite a transformation. And today I want to focus on two aspects around calling that I think come from this passage. And one is sort of the general calling that we all have, that we all share as disciples, and that's to follow Jesus, to say yes, and become fishers of people. And the second thing is around a specific vocation that God creates and equips each of us for and calls us to. When I started looking at this passage, it was verse 11 that really hit me. They put their boats on the shore, they left everything, and they followed him. And that is an incredible sentence when you stop and see that. They put their boats on shore after catching all of these fish, and they just left everything and followed him. I find it also equally challenging Would I leave everything in an instant like they did? I know I could leave some things pretty easily and I could leave most things, but everything? I'd like to say, yes, of course I could, but honestly, I think the challenge here, would I leave everything? This little verse got me questioning. You know, what was it that happened in this boat that was so transformational, the disciples were prepared to walk away from everything 
they knew to follow Jesus. Their livelihoods, their homes, their families, their communities, their friends, they left everything to follow him. And admittedly, that was a pretty big catch of fish. They found it very impressive, but I think it had to be something more than the size of the blessing. I think it's about what happened to Simon and his journey of cruciformity. He laid down what he wanted and he was obedient to what God wanted and they saw this incredible blessing and transformation. You see, I think a cruciform calling starts by us being prepared to put our wants and desires and feelings to the side and saying genuinely, not my will, but yours, Lord. I'll go where you want me to go and I'll do what you want me to do. And that's what Simon did here. When we first meet him in this passage, he had been fishing all day. I'm sure he was tired. I'm sure he was discouraged. The boats were on shore. They had cleaned everything. They'd cleaned their nets all ready for the next day. They were absolutely done. And I bet Simon just wanted to go home. I'm sure he desired nothing more than the equivalent of a hot shower and a good feed. And I'm sure nothing in Simon felt like getting everything back out and dirty again. But then Jesus came along. And we see in verse 3 their first interaction. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. Simon could have very easily and quite justifiably said, no, sorry, I'm too tired, we've cleaned everything, could you come back tomorrow and we'll do it then? But he didn't. Jesus called him, asked him to do something, and even though he was tired and even though he was discouraged, he laid aside what he wanted to do and he said, yes, Lord. And then in verse four, Jesus called him to do something else. He said, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, Jesus had already asked him to take the boat offshore, and I think the shore here represents security, the known, the familiar, the safe. And if we notice the direction here, Jesus is asking him to take another step away from the security and the safety of shore. It's a step into the deep, into the unknown and the uncertain Jesus asked him to take another step and again Simon had the choice. He could have said, no, I'm too tired. Let's leave it till tomorrow. In fact, he started to. In verse five, he says, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. In other words, I'm done. I'm tired. I don't feel like it. But instead, He laid aside his feelings and his wants and he replied, but because you say so, I will. Lord, let your will be done. Jesus called, Simon obeyed, he laid his desire aside and look what happened. In verse six, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break. 
So much so they had to signal to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they filled both boats so full they began to sink. Now that's a lot of fish. You know, I don't know if you guys are fishermen, but I doubt that anybody here, sorry, would have caught two <laughs> boats full of fish in one go. But you see, after all their hard work that day doing it their own way where they thought best, Jesus came and asked Simon, leave the familiar stuff that you know how to do and come out into the deep and the unknown. You see, Jesus knew where to find the blessing and Jesus knew the abundant life that was waiting. But first, Simon needed to say, yes, Lord. Do you know what the name Simon means in the Bible? That hears and that obeys. And because he did, he received a new calling, a new vocation. He went from being a fisherman to a fisher of people. He went from a job as a fisherman to a calling, a cruciform calling that came from seeking God, saying yes to God, a calling to serve others. And friends, this is a calling that we are all called to when we begin this journey of discipleship. When we say, yes, Lord, I'll follow you, we're following Jesus into the deep. And we too are given this cruciform calling to lay our wants aside and be fishers of people, to seek God to serve others, to be his witnesses and tell people about him everywhere, like it says in Acts 1. You know, this is our calling. So if you're here and you're in a space of saying, I don't know what my calling is, I don't know what the Lord wants me to do with my life, this is it. You know, this is where we start, every single one of us, because we are all fisher of people. We are all called to be his witnesses, to make him known to those around us wherever we are. Eyes on God, helping others, yeah? Pointing them to him. This is the cruciform calling that we all share. Now how we actually do this, how we actually live out this calling to be fishers of people looks quite different for each of us, depending upon our gifts and strengths and talents and abilities and personalities, depending on the way God has created us uniquely and equipped us. Because we are all created differently and uniquely. We're all different parts of the one body, but we all have the same singular purpose, which is to know Christ and make him known. And as we see with Simon, as he presses into this calling to be a fisher for people, as he lives that out every way he can, Jesus then reveals a specific calling or vocation that the Lord designed him for. In Matthew 16, verse 18, we see Jesus telling him, you are now Peter. You are the rock upon which I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. 
it's pretty powerful. He was a fisherman of fish. Now he's the rock upon the church is being built. You see, this is the other part of a cruciform calling that I just want to touch on this morning, and that's while we've all got this general shared calling to know Christ, to make him known, we have each been given a specific calling or vocation to fulfill the plans and purposes of God. And this comes out of our discipleship journey to join Jesus. You see, every time we say yes, every time we take another step out into the unknown and the uncertain, Jesus reveals more, not only of who we are and how we have been created, but what we have been created to do. Now this word vocation, it comes from the Latin word, I think it's vocari, that means calling. But we often use it in the church to describe our work, Christian work, our official ministry work, work that we do for the Lord. But vocation is actually a lot more than paid work or official ministry. It's not about what we do, I think it's more about the very essence of who we actually are and the person that God created us to be. I've I've heard vocation described as the thing that is so core to who you are and how you are wired that you'd just do it for free. What is that for you? It might be being the best godly parent you can possibly be or teacher or a lawyer or a doctor or an encourager or an intercessor or a writer or to be a witness in my mum's group you know it's not so much what we do it's our heart and our motivation underneath it which needs to be seeking God and serving others. I'm a very visual thinker and, and I kind of think of this as like a giant jigsaw puzzle. You know, God's kingdom and he's made each of us like one of these puzzle pieces. We all have a part to play in seeing his kingdom come here on earth but every piece of a puzzle is shaped differently, Yeah? And it all has a different part of the picture on it. It all has different color, different texture. But all pieces are vitally important in seeing God's kingdom come. And I can tell you this, there is no way he will have given every other Christian in the world a specific vocation and calling, a specific piece of the puzzle, and just left you over in the puzzle box. You know, he's got a role for all of us. What is your piece in his puzzle. You know, do you know what it is that the Lord is specifically asking you to do? And if you're here this morning and you don't know, can I just encourage you, ask him. You know, because there will be something specific, something special he has designed and created and equipped you to do. And it won't be the same as anyone else. 
because he created you uniquely and he knows the plans and the purposes he has for your life. So just ask him to reveal them. Find a mentor, find somebody that you can do this journey of discovery with, someone who can pray with you, someone who can discern with you. Learn how he has created you. You know, like what spiritual gifts have you got? What are your strengths? How are you wired? What's your passion? What pushes your buttons? Because there will be something. I just want to share a little bit of my journey, I guess, around this whole area of cruciform calling because I have now a very strong and very clear sense of calling into anti-trafficking work, but I didn't always. But as a teenager, I remember crying in my bed at night because I was so upset when I'd hear about issues of global poverty and injustice and unfairness. And then when I finally got serious about following Jesus, which wasn't until I was 27, I had this really strong encounter with the Holy Spirit and I got the first sense of clarity around calling and vocation. Um, I was doing a network course. Um, I know some of you of a certain age here might have done this as well. It was a kind of old school course that was popular. Um, we discovering your spiritual gifts and discovering your passions and discovering your purpose. And when I did this, I remember clearly being there going through this course and just feeling this righteous anger at injustice bubbling up. It was so strong, I thought people could see it. And I just had this incredible urge to grab the microphone off the guy up the front and start advocating that people have to get off their butts and start acting. You know, that was 25 years ago. And I've got to confess, I've said a lot of no's to God because when he has asked me to go into the unknown and the uncertain and the deep, often I haven't wanted to. You see, when I got this calling to advocate and fight injustice, I was actually head of music at a very white, very middle-class school. And I had this very safe career mapped out by society standards, I had a really great job, there was quite a bit of prestige, I had a good income, but I knew the Lord was calling me to justice and advocacy. And I said no, I didn't want to do it. Because I didn't think the skills, that I had any skills to do anything other than what I was doing, and if I'm really honest, my main reason I said no was that I didn't want to lose my financial security. Ironically, now I'm a supported missionary. But back then, I had a good salary. I'd bought a house, I was financially independent, and I really liked it. And I said no to God for two years before I finally said yes. And when I did, he moved me straight to World Vision and my justice work began. And what I've learned the hard way is that every time that I have actually said yes, every time I've been eyes on God, helping others first, two things have happened. And one is that the Lord reveals more to me 
about who I am and how he's wired me and the strengths he's given me to do what he's asking. But the thing is, he asks first, and then I find I've actually got to obey first, which is just a downer, and then, well, I just mean, I would find this so much easier if God said, hey, will you come over here and do this, and here's what's going to come as a result, or you're going to be okay, you know? But he doesn't to be. He says, come over here, then I have to obey and say yes, and then I get the revelation, and then I get the blessing. And the second thing that I've learned through this is that every time I've said yes to God, my vocational calling has become clearer. I lived in Cambodia in the mid-2000s, and this is where I first got involved in anti-trafficking. And when I left Cambodia, I had a very, very clear calling. It was almost an audible direction from God to devote myself to this area of anti-trafficking. And seriously, that is the only reason that I'm doing the ministry I'm doing because it's hard going and there's no way I would be doing it unless I knew this is where God wanted me. But because he told me this is what he's created me to do and where he wants me, somehow I have the energy to do it and he sustains me in it. And then even two and a half, as recently as two and a half years ago, I think that was when we had the Wesleyan National Conference here and I was sitting over there Um, and I had a vision, and I don't often get visions, um, but again, it was around this calling of vocation, and the short version is that um, God showed me that after X amount of years of fighting as a soldier on the front line, he was moving me from there, giving me a new garment, and I was going to be moved into the general's tent, that from now on, I was going to be fighting human trafficking from in here. And I think this is what's starting to happen with these global opportunities that I'm getting. But I still struggle with this cruciform side of calling and vocation. To be really honest, I still struggle with wants and desires, especially I still struggle with my desire for financial security and a salary. And I have to continually force myself to lay this down at the cross and say, it doesn't matter, Lord, I trust you. I know this is where you want me. I know this is how you've wired me. I know you will provide everything I need. And you know what? He does. But I think this part of the cruciform vocation, this laying down of our wants and letting our selfish desires die, it doesn't go away. It's something we continually have to be bringing before God, at least for me. Living a cruciform life isn't easy, but gosh, it's worth it. It is so worth it to find that sweet spot where the Lord has designed and created you to be, and he will take care of everything when you're there. 